0: All right. Um starting fresh. Uh going to pretend that the last few minutes have never happened when we edit this later. Going to be like those um you know, those pictures in the Soviet Union where all the Bolshevik leaders are standing together and then the the ones that are in Soviet textbooks in the 1930s Trotsky is whited out. We're just going to pretend that we are starting right now at uh at 6:30. <laughs> and uh and I will uh, I will start fresh and pretend that I was not muted before. All right. So um, I want to start out by just doing a minute on why I am uh, doing it the way that I'm doing it today and why I'm doing it today at all. Um, so the, uh, the first thing, uh, first things first, uh, I normally do this on Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday, uh, but I thought I would do it uh, today instead for uh, two reasons, one of them personal and one of them having to do with what's in the news. So the personal reason is I've been traveling for the last several days. Uh, so I got um, I was in Canada from Wednesday through early Saturday uh, because I did a book event at the Duke of York pub in Toronto for the Christopher Hitchens book on Thursday night, and uh, and then I gave a talk at the philosophy department at Ryerson on uh, Marx and Marxism and the relationship between Marxism and liberalism on Friday night. And then uh, Saturday afternoon, I flew straight from Toronto to Texas because I was uh, doing a debate at this uh, conference in Texas, the uh, Better Discourse Conference, which is what uh, yesterday's episode was all about. For anybody who uh, who listened to that, I talked a little bit about what happened in that debate and who I was debating and some of the objections that some people have to even participating in events like that and what the pros and cons of participating in events like that are and trying to get a left-wing message about. And anybody who was listening to that uh, episode last night, uh, either live or later, uh, knows that I was doing it, um, while I was literally walking around the airport, the Dallas Fort Worth international airport, because I thought I was flying back to, uh, I thought I was flying back to Atlanta last night, uh, which would have been real nice. Uh, so, um, I had, you know, even though, you know, my debate was Saturday evening, um, And so the natural thing would be like, you know, for me to fly back to Atlanta Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon, at least. um, I actually asked the, the organizers if they could, if they could book the flight um, Sunday night, because I had to teach this uh, class. I've been teaching a class on uh, Karl Marx's capital volume one at Michael Albert's thing, the school for social and cultural change. And in, um, and we do that on Sunday afternoons, right? And I didn't want to have to, you know, miss a, a session of that. So I asked them to uh fly me back to Atlanta on Sunday night. Uh and so um I was kind of caught up in getting ready for that uh when I normally would have done Colin uh like Sunday like noon Eastern. So instead I as people know who listen to that episode, I was literally walking around the airport. So there's some tech issues because of that. Uh, and also I was, um, you know, I was doing it without the headset cause I couldn't fit the headset into my carry on cause I was bringing a bunch of books to sell at the event on Thursday. Uh, so, uh, as it happened, so I did that call in after I was already in the airport and had gone through security and everything. And then I was finally done with the call in, I stopped by the airport bookstore. I got a copy of a book to read on the flight Uh, Jennifer Egan's, uh, novel, uh, the candy house, uh, anybody, you know, who hasn't read her earlier book, uh, visit from the goon squad. She's a very good novelist. I was really looking forward to reading that. And I, um, and I was finally done with Colin. So I was like, all right, I've been doing stuff all day, the capital class and getting to the airport and doing Colin, but I can like camp out at the airport bar and read this Jennifer Egan novel and relax while I wait for my flight. And just as I was setting stuff down on the table, I got a text from American Airlines saying that my flight had been canceled. I don't really know why. Some kind of weather thing, I guess. Uh, but uh, I probably could have gotten somebody at customer service at the airport to tell me, but customer service was a gate uh, for American Airlines, was a gate C-25. And the uh, I guess a bunch of flights had been canceled, so the line was stretching well into gate C-27. And it seemed like it was going to take hours and hours to get to the front. It was moving at a snail pace. So instead of doing that, I just uh, rebooked my flight. You know, online they let me. You know, they gave me options to do that online, and went to find a hotel, uh, which is where I still am now. Because the earliest flight they could rebook me on, when I finally got a hold with of them over the phone, uh, this was um, this was still the case. They couldn't get me on anything earlier was on Tuesday morning, so uh, when i uh so that Tuesday morning flight is going to be like getting to Atlantic like exactly in time for me to uh get a you know if it's on time, I can get a ride from the airport to Morehouse College. The classes I teach at Morehouse are Tuesday Thursday, so I can like kind of exactly make that uh, without stopping at home first to teach my last day of the semester at Morehouse College. So that's the personal reason we're doing it this way today uh even though we're still doing it headsetless so uh the audio quality might not be as good and also I'm going to occasionally stop talking for like 10 seconds because when I'm doing it with the headset uh I can uh I can see I can talk at the same time as I'm looking at the phone which means by the way I would notice that I was muted earlier uh, and um and I also um and it also means I can see if anybody's in the queue, whereas otherwise uh I am you know as is I'm gonna have to just occasionally stop talking for ten seconds while i uh while I look at the phone to see if anybody's in the queue so my apologies for that also for any like ambient noise or whatever that you might hear more of um if not for the fact that I'm you know if I was wearing the headset, which I just you know couldn't fit in my luggage, okay, so when I do finally get back to Atlanta um late tomorrow afternoon uh i'm not really gonna want to do the call-in i'm gonna want to just like hang out with the wife and the dog and you know watch tv and be mindless for a while uh you know after the last several days so that's the personal reason that i'm doing it today even though it does mean doing it headsetless but of course the news reason is that uh there was just this big event today or at least you know not you know earth shattering it's it's not like a you know, Russia invaded another country or something, but an interesting event, one that uh, overlaps with a couple of my interests anyway, which is Elon Musk finally officially sealing the deal on buying Twitter. And a lot of what I've been doing today, actually, in my hotel room has been writing an article for Jacobin about that event because early this morning, um, you know, not, you know, whatever I would have got up this morning, uh, Micah Utrecht, the deputy editor at Jacobin, asked if I wanted to write something about that. The deal wasn't quite official yet, but it was pretty clear that it was going to happen. Uh, so other than um, so, that's most of what I've done today, other than a, a meeting, which I will just sort of enigmatically tease for um, stuff that looks like it's going to go on in the fall. I think there are going to be some podcast live shows, not just GTAA, but crossover with at least one other podcast that I know a lot of people who uh, listen to this also enjoy. So, uh, I'll just be enigmatic about that right now, but, um, should be good stuff if it happens. Um, first one of those will be like September if it does. Uh, and also I had a, like a zoom event I had to do for, uh, for, for Stoa, um, on uh, COVID and the culture war. But the main thing I did is write this article about Elon Musk and Twitter. And so I thought I'd do a call in right now while the news is fresh and, you know, my argument about it is fresh in my head. And I know people are going to have stuff to say, you know, that that's like the big thing, right? Because rather than me just monologuing the whole time, uh, you know, it's call in, right? The whole point is you guys can call in and tell me what you think and tell me why you disagree with what I think or why you agree with it or why you have some other thoughts or kind of sideways thoughts about it. So uh, even though due to the late start, because uh, I did not unmute myself, uh, we were only going to be able to do about half an hour here. So I do want to get into the the meat of it. Um So there are really two distinct issues here. They're actually pretty closely connected, but we do want to at least sort out both of them and, and talk about both of them a little separately, even though I think ultimately they do come together. So there are two reasons why this is interesting, you know, to me, or I really think to anybody on the left. So one of them is a free speech issue that, um, you know, um, what, how much we care about online free speech, how we think it's going to impact that, because Elon says that his goal in buying Twitter is to restore sort of better, more permissive uh, free speech protections than than where they've been kind of going post Dorsey. And if that happens, I am for it. Um, you know, my view is that there are both pragmatic and ideological reasons why democratic socialists should be the biggest. You know most enthusiastic champions of free speech and open debate. Um, And uh, why, you know, we have the most gain to gain from it. And also why it's sort of, that's like central to our vision for how society should work. You know, that, that we're the, you know, we're the advocates of of expanding democracy from politics to economics. And uh, my view is that you don't have much democracy if uh, ordinary people aren't in a position to be exposed to every point of view and sort out what they think for themselves. Um, So that's the ideological issue. Now, of course, um, the question is whether Elon Musk running the show is actually going to be much better for free speech. And there are some sort of uh, prosaic reasons to wonder how serious he is about it. We can get into that. But that's the first issue, the free speech issue. The second issue is uh, the issue about... um, about, you know, how we feel about one individual, you know, one individual rich guy uh, uh, owning uh, this entire platform, which this giant platform that's massively important for, you know, it's a massively important part of our digital public square. So I want to get into both of those issues a little bit. Uh, if you have stuff to say about either one of them or both, please do get into the queue and I'll monologue for like a minute, but I'm going to get you in on this pretty quickly. Okay, Uh, so let's start with the the free speech issue. So I sort of indicated just now one of the reasons why I think that free speech is really important uh, from a socialist perspective, which is the sort of principal reason that, um, you know, C.L.R. James, you know, put it really well, read in his article about the Hungarian Revolution. I think he's quoting Lenin, but, you know, I mostly associate the phrase with C.L.R. James. Every cook can govern, right? That's the that's the sort of foundation of socialist politics, uh, is the belief that ordinary working class people are capable of meaningful self government. And if you think that you know benevolent liberal technocrats should decide you know what ordinary people get to see, which views they're exposed to, because you're worried that if they're exposed to the wrong ones, they're going to think the wrong thing, then you know you don't really think every cook can govern. You think that benevolent technocrats should govern, and you should be honest about that. But that's certainly not my politics. Um, and that doesn't mean that there can't be any restrictions, right? That doesn't mean there are no content moderation rules that we want on, um, you know, doesn't mean that even the criminal law, you know, civil law, whatever, shouldn't include, um, you know, shouldn't include restrictions on some kinds of speech, you know, uh, harassment, slander, incitement. Uh, and it certainly doesn't mean that those things shouldn't be, you know, shouldn't be sort of policed on Twitter, Including, um, and you know, or that you could, shouldn't include, expand those restrictions to include a couple other things like most obviously doxing. But by and large, I think as socialists, our ideological sort of predilection should be to err, to want there to be very clear, very transparent, very evenly enforced rules with tons of due process that err on the side of valuing free speech and open debate. Right. Uh so that's so that's my view about the strategic issue as a uh, as oh sorry, that's my view about the principal issue as a strategic issue. Uh I, I just think it's it's really bad and dangerous uh, if we have a um, to uh to allow for you know for lots of corporate censorship, right? Any censorship, especially corporate censorship. Um I I think that um you know like given that the, uh, the corporations that control these platforms or, you know, the, something like Twitter, you know, up until a few hours ago, you know, there were various corporations that own chunks of it. There are various wealthy individuals that own chunks of it. There's uh, a weird sort of public indication that the kingdom of Saudi Arabia owned a chunk of it, uh, you know, BlackRock, et cetera. Uh, but whatever, you know, the, the, um, the, Like the billionaire CEOs who run these things, the corporations and wealthy individuals who own bits and pieces of them, uh, those people are not going to be sympathetic to the left's platform at all, right? That they have every incentive in the world economically to oppose any efforts to redistribute their wealth to make life better for the rest of us, uh, and certainly to oppose any effort by socialists to take away their economic power. And they also have every incentive in the world to stay on the good side of the federal government. Uh, which, you know, which means that, you know, anti-war voices, for example, uh, have every reason to worry about censorship. Um, Whereas if you did what I would like and took the digital public square into public ownership, I mean, look, uh, even though it's owned by the government, you can have an anti-war march on a public sidewalk and that's protected because free speech laws that broadly apply apply to public sidewalks or like, you know, when, uh, Ronald Reagan was governor of California and he tried to fire Angela Davis for being a member of the Communist Party. The courts told him that he couldn't uh, because, um, you know, because uh, that's constitutionally protected, you know, free speech stuff. Uh, you know, First Amendment doesn't let you fire a public employee uh, for their political associations, whereas in you know, most places there are some states that have some laws that try to plug this hole, but uh, in free speech protections, but by and large, private employers can do whatever the fuck they want. Um, so, uh, so that's the, you know, so that's like the sort of strategic concern about, um, about corporate censorship and, you know, and I, I like the way I put it in that article, I wrote for the daily beast a little while back about Rogan and Spotify is, you know, look, imagine, or, you know, we could adapt what I said there about Spotify. We could adapt it for Twitter, right. That, you know, Imagine that Twitter uh, existed and was flourishing in 2002. Uh, who do you think would be more likely to get the censorship jackhammer for misinformation? Um, users who thought that the uh, Bush administration and the New York Times were telling the truth about weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, or users uh, who thought that uh, Bush administration officials were conspiring against the public to spread lies about weapons of mass destruction? I think the question kind of answers itself. And so I'd say if you're not worried about uh the left being actually the primary targets long term of corporate censorship, that's a pretty good indication that you don't really believe that the serious left, anything to the left of liberalism, is ever going to become a mainstream enough or popular enough movement to form a meaningful threat to capital, which is a pretty dismal thing, because if you didn't believe that we we're ever going to form a you know be an important enough threat to these people's interests. Uh, to be worth censoring, then why bother being politically active at all, right? Why bother with lefty politics? You know, go find something else to do with your life, you know, probably be more relaxing. Uh, so so that's, you know, some of the reasons why I think that free speech is really important from a socialist perspective. Um, You know, why I agree with people like Karl Marx and Rosa Luxemburg and, you know, the socialists who founded the ACLU back when it was the Civil Liberties Bureau um, of, um, of the, uh, of a, uh, the, I forget what it's called, but you know, there's like a draft resistance and anti-war organization, uh, whose name I'm blanking on right now. Uh, but, uh, but you know, in any case, um, but of course, uh, coming back down to earth, that's a reason why if Elon Musk does what he says, then it's good that he, rather than these other less free speech friendly, rich people, are in control of the platform, but I actually have my doubts about how seriously to take his alleged commitment to sticking by these free speech principles. I think that, you know, it's very easy to support free speech for people you basically agree with or who at the very least, even if you disagree with from their perspective, you don't think they're that bad. Uh, So I fully expect that if you're like a right-wing, you know, libertarian, Uh, Bitcoin, you know, enthusiast, um, you know, Elon's got your back as far as your free speech. And even in terms of people he might disagree with a little bit, but, you know, we're not that bad from his perspective, Um, like, you know, QAnon weirdos spreading deranged conspiracy theories or um, Donald Trump himself maybe getting that Twitter account back. I expect they'll be fine, too. By the way, I know some people, including people I respect, like Danton Robinson, Uh, Are very worried that if Trump gets his Twitter account back, that'll really help him in the 2024 election. I don't really buy that. Uh, Bronco Marketic wrote about this for Jacobin a little while ago, said that, you know, really, if you look at the evidence, uh, cable television was much more instrumental in uh, helping Donald Trump's original rise to power than Twitter was. And certainly, if you look at the polling, you know, Trump has been without his Twitter account for well over a year, but he's. you know, but but every poll shows either that right if the election were held today, he would actually beat Biden, uh, or that at worst uh, he would lose, but by less than he lost by in 2020 when he's still on the Twitter account, right? So I don't really buy that argument, and and I, and even if I did, I just think that I just don't think it should be decisive. I think the left has bigger, more important fish to fry than who wins. In uh, one of our depressing, half-democratic elections between corporate centrist Democrats and ravenous right-wing Republicans, uh, that doesn't mean that I've I've suddenly become a abstentionist about electoral politics. I mean, my advice to people in swing states would be what it's always been, but you know, I I just don't think that should be the top priority. Okay, so why so why is it that I think that uh, that Elon might not be as serious as he's saying he is about free speech? Well, basically. Um, couple reasons, right? So I think that it's very easy to support free speech for people, as I said, who you agree with. Uh, everybody supports free speech for people they agree with. Uh, or even for people who, again, you might disagree with, but you don't think of that bad. Uh, but I think the real test of how serious he is, and right now we can only speculate, is like, okay, but what about Antifa, right? There are all these Antifa Twitter accounts that were purged last year. And um, out, you know, around the time of like uh, you know riots, you know that happened around the time of the inauguration, uh, and you know you could argue that oh maybe that's legitimate because it's incitement, but then I want to really look at the evidence. Uh, are any of these people with these prominent anti Twitter accounts that apparently uh, had a combined total of seventy-one thousand followers uh, that were purged by Twitter last year, are any of them actually guilty of incitement in any clearer way than Donald Trump was? Uh, you know, when he had his uh his Twitter account pulled after one six. Uh if not, and Trump gets his Twitter account back and these Antifa people don't, then that is a s will be an indication to me that Elon is not actually all that serious about online free speech. And uh another one, you know, I would also like a really interesting test would be like what happens when he realizes that it would be good for his profits to make it harder for like union organizers at Tesla to get the word out or people who are calling attention to allegations of really shockingly and, and disgustingly racist uh, practices at Tesla that have been widely reported in the last few months, like, you know, black workers sort of being, you know, in a different part of the building that was referred to as the plantation and shit like that. Um, again, we can only speculate, nobody knows, but you know, I'm I'll believe it when I see it as far as how committed he is to free speech but uh the more important question to me is whether we should need to rely on the benevolence or you know of some you know allegedly benevolent billionaire oligarch like Elon Musk uh in order to safeguard free speech norms in our digital public square and i really don't think we should um, and i don't want anyone to get this part twisted because i'm actually not that i've seen a lot of leftists sort of try to put a leftist spin on being Sort of going along with the liberal narrative that it's the horrifying, most worst thing ever that uh, that Elon Musk is buying Twitter and that, you know, everybody should delete their accounts now and whatever, which I just kind of think is liberal culture war nonsense. Uh, and I've seen people try to put a leftist spin on that by saying, oh, well, see, it's really bad for one individual rich person to own this platform. And I agree it should not be owned by rich people. But I have to say I have a really hard time as a leftist getting excited about the the difference between, you know, black rock owning a chunk of it and the kingdom of Saudi Arabia owning a chunk of it and all these various evil corporations and, you know, assorted individual wealthy oligarchs owning chunks of it and one oligarch owning the whole thing. That's, that's just a difference that doesn't get me that hot and bothered one way or the other because what I really want, you know, as a socialist is just, to, as I said, to put it under public ownership. Okay, we've got a bunch of calls, so um, we do not have very much time, so I'm going to ask people to be brief, and I'm probably not going to be able to take everybody, but I'm going to try to take at least uh, a few people, see how many we can get through. So...
1: All right,
0: can you what? hear me? I can. What's on your mind?
1: Oh, uh, your microphone was muted again. I'm kidding. I'm kidding this time.
0: <laughs> God damn <laughs> it. <laughs>
1: No, no, I agree with most of your analysis, pretty much all of it. I do think there's probably some aspect of Elon Musk owning Twitter that's going to allow more, quote-unquote, free speech than was previously allowed on Twitter. But, um, you know, I agree that that doesn't mean he's going to open it up to be truly free. I agree with the fact that relying on a benevolent dictator to... um, enforce your fundamental rights as a, you know, a human being with ideas is not a good system. And, you know, whoever you replace it with is there's no guarantee that they're always going to be benevolent. Um, yeah, I, I think the other thing that I've really been wrestling with is whether or not Elon owning Twitter is going to sort of lull, uh, a a good amount of the Twitter using popular population or, uh, even, you know, the outside population out, who's outside of Twitter, into a false sense of security that their free speech mm-hmm. is being protected. Uh, I think it's kind of nice that, uh, well, I don't want to say nice, but their, you know, the free speech issue has sort of spanned the political spectrum for yeah. uh, the Trump years and, and afterwards, because there has been a lot of censorship of, um, you know, different political um figures who are more right aligned and that does cause more of an uproar from a population to actually uh, demand a, a response that's better than, hey, these corporations are uh, being unfair and they shouldn't own it. Um, I do think that to some extent, especially with the way that some people view Elon, Elon Musk, um, they can sort of see this as, oh, problem solved. We don't need to keep fighting for uh, the kind of structural changes that we need to uh, something like Twitter, to make it an actual public square where people can actually have the, the enforcement of those rights to speak and be heard and um, to participate. Uh, and I think that, you know, that's, that's the one thing I'm really particularly worried about is if this is going to sort of uh, numb everyone out and then uh, who knows, who knows what comes next. Thank you for
0: coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Uh, okay, I, I think that's a really good point. Uh, let me just, uh, to, in an effort to uh, to bring in as many people as we can before we're uh, before I uh, got to go. Let me just uh, bring in the next caller, and maybe I can address both at the same time. Yep. All right, Johnny, what's on your mind? Hey,
2: Ben, two quick questions. We'll talk about. Alpha- in later at a different time about free speech and talking about revolution but for now uh i want to ask you two things first of all have you ever seen in history where a government uh, actually allowed free speech i mean whatever you want to ask me i don't care i'm open for anything that's number one number two have you heard of panquake and what are your thoughts on panquake
0: okay i am not familiar with the second part of that uh so uh you're gonna have to to fill me in quickly on that okay I think, as far as like, look, governments allowing free speech. Uh, I think there's a, I think there's a spectrum, right? So I think if that means there's no repression whatsoever, then, um, you know, maybe there are no examples of any governments or any non-governmental institutions, for that matter, uh, having, you know, being uh, perfect on free speech. But I mean, it's certainly undeniable that you have some societies with a lot more free speech than others, and some protections that are a lot more impressive than others. Again. When the governor of the state, you know, can't, you know, can't fire, uh, you know, a, um, right. you know, like, professor of the state university who's calling him a fascist all the time and et cetera, like, that's a much better free speech situation, for example, than most people have in most workplaces. But what, what was the thing you were asking about the second part uh, there? Panquake, uh, uh, Susie
2: Dawson from New Zealand, and I believe the person that uh, created Norton, uh, any software or Mac, something like that. Uh, they've gotten together and they created it's sort of like a Twitter uh, platform, uh, messaging service. It's $5 a month and they're doing the beta thing and it's a real big deal. You ought to check into it. I think you ought, uh, That is public uh, well, actually it's privately owned, but check it out, PanQuake. I think you'll be quite interested in it.
0: Thanks. Man. All right. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, I am pretty skeptical about attempts to create alternative Social media platforms. I think that the I think the track record seems to show that you can you know have the party but nobody shows up. But uh, I do want to take I do want to take the next caller. Uh, what is in your mind?
3: Yeah, yeah, Ben. Can you hear me all right? Yep, no problem. Okay, cool. Yeah, so I agree with a lot of what you said. Um, I I have uh, very little faith in Elon Musk. I feel like he's going to do a lot of virtue signaling to the right wing on letting them you know talk more about the the culture war stuff and like the conspiracies that they want to talk about that don't affect him and his bottom line. But I, I, I find it highly unlikely to believe that as soon as we get to the point where some trends or cam- Twitter campaigns or something like for, you know, a Tesla union form or, or something like that, right. he's going to resist his power to try to, you know, limit that. I, I find that highly uh, unlikely. Okay. to believe.
0: Uh, oh, you don't think so? <laughs> no. Okay. All right. I mean, I, look, I mean, I mean, right now we can only speculate um, that, you know, I mean, I've got my guess, you've got your guess. Uh, but, but I I do think, you know, maybe, he'll, maybe you'll be right. Right. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe he really is. To stick to his principles even when' i don't think he's
3: gonna I f- don't think he's gonna let something like that happen I, oh gonna, i see gonna, okay like, okay
0: okay yeah, so- sorry. sorry, yeah, yeah, okay, you and I agree then i'm I'm very skeptical about yeah. that uh as I said, okay, we can only cool. speculate you know uh but I yeah. think that um yeah, I think that anything that's like directly yeah. bad for his profits i just i just don't and, see any like i just more, one quick
3: question on this uh do you think that something like Twitter should be? Totally, uh, like nationalized. Um, I, I wasn't sure if you said that in your monologue. And like in general, what do you think would be like the line for it's one of these type of companies for like nationalizing them and regulating them like public utilities?
0: Yeah, I, I do think that I do think that it should be publicly owned. Um, I mean, I, I, I think that if it if it was again, you know, same way you can. Um, That, uh, you know, you can have um, an actual public square, right? You could have a protest march on it since broadly applicable free speech laws apply. I think that uh, things like this that are so important to sort of flow of information in our society, I do think it'd be better if they're publicly owned and, you know, free speech laws applied. That doesn't mean there's no restriction that you can just have, you know, whatever, child Hello. Um, about, oh, yeah, sorry. I was just, I was just, I got cut off for a second. All I was saying is, from my perspective, I think there's very little good uh, that comes of sort of letting, you know, wealthy oligarchs c- uh, control these, uh, these platforms that we kind of all use to have, uh, to, to get our news and to, you know, discuss and, you know, and argue and all of that stuff. Um, so that that'll be my perspective. But I do want to take the next caller real quick. What's on your mind?
2: Hey, so uh, thanks for uh, bringing me on, and um, I hopefully I'm not preaching the choir, but I probably am. Uh, so uh, from a curiosity's perspective, and I'm being facetious here, the merger of the government and corporations, that does equal fascism, um, uh, well, only according to Mussolini. Um, and, you know, especially when, you know, the government defines what is wartime and in times of war what we can or cannot talk about and who we can or cannot should be killing that isn't the color of our skin. like it's pretty scary. Um, and I do come at things from an anti-war climate activist perspective. And so for for workers rights, labor rights, the global South, climate justice, ecological, indigenous rights, social economic equity, equality, you know, I don't see how this really ends up great. Um, but nationalizing Twitter, um, You know, I don't want to up his share price when he just got done buying the company and taking it private. You know, selfishly, I almost kind of hope that this purchase ends up about as valuable as Jack Dorsey's first NFT that he created for his first tweet. Um, Because, uh, I mean, these platforms, they do not support free speech. We all know they don't. They silence voices either Legitimately and outright, or they shadow ban them, you know, so yeah. the people are not speaking on these anymore. Um, and uh, I know I have a little bit more here. I'll just give you a couple examples regarding Musk. So yeah. when yeah. Ukraine broke out, so he got involved, right? Uh (laughs) You know, did he de-escalate things? No. (laughs) So is that what we want people that own our platforms to do, is escalate wars to their benefit of their satellite companies or their cars? Do they shut off cars in our enemy's territories to create more uh, mayhem that escalates things? Maybe. Um, And then from a climate perspective and Musk, he actually also came out this weekend and talked about his boring thing which is you know i think ridiculously asinine uh, to dig further into the earth to create more you know logistics and transportation nightmares um and he said that it wouldn't be impacted by you know uh, weather events up top and i just don't uh-huh. know if he understands how geology or rock works um so you know I, I, I at the end of the day with my rant going on here who really cares most poor people don't give a shit. There's eight billion people on this planet. Most people never fucking care what it happens on Twitter. I know. No, I'm, I know. I'm, I'm, cer- I'm certainly,
0: <laughs> yeah. Look, I mean, I'm certainly with you on the. Uh, I think the larger point. I think that the, you know, I, I mean, again, I think that which uh, which rich person or which corporation you know controls these things is uh, is sort of a secondary issue. You know, I mean, I would like to live in a society where things that are important. And I do think that, like, the sort of flow of information, who gets to read what views, stuff like that, is potentially important, is not controlled by, uh, by any of these people, right? You know, that's, that's taken out of all their heads. But uh, I really appreciate the call. I actually do need to run. But uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. We're going to do another one of these on Thursday. I think a little bit more the usual time. Left is best.